Thank you. Well, good morning, Grace Commons. If you're in the room, feel free to take a seat and uh, welcome to all of you who are joining us online as well. We are so glad that you are worshiping with us. Uh, my name is Daniel, one of the pastors here, and I will be kicking off uh, week three, our final week of our series, Towards a Commons Politics. Haven't you enjoyed it so far? I think uh, Carl Hoffman has crushed it and knocked it out of the park, so uh, excited to pick up where he left off and, uh, and keep this series going as we get close to Election Day. But before we do that, I want to take a moment to celebrate some good family news. Um, so many of you here will know that our financial year runs from uh, July 1st to June 30th, our fiscal year, and our first quarter, July 1st to September 30th, our elders and uh, uh, financial committee uh, trustees have let us know that we are currently $6,000 ahead of where we expected to be. That's 7.9% better than we anticipated at this point of the year. So I want to just celebrate what God has done. All praise to him. Much gratitude to you. Thank you so much for giving to the work of the Lord. We are grateful. And now at this point, we're going to pivot from talking about money to talking about politics. Never thought I'd say that line in church, all right? But here we are, week three. For week one, you remember Carl kicked us off talking about uh, the common understanding that we need to have, that God has called us as followers of Jesus, as believers to be engaged in politics, not to be enmeshed, not to escape, but to engage. That is, that is a common understanding that we need to have. And last week he talked about our common identity, right? As believers, as, as one in Christ. Even though we come from different places, uh, we have different skin colors, we have different political backgrounds and beliefs, we are one in Christ. And that brings us to this week where we're going to wrap up, and that is our common goal. And here's our common goal, if I could state it plainly for us at the beginning of this message. It is simply that we would learn to put Jesus and his kingdom at the forefront of all we do. And that includes our political beliefs, and that even includes how we vote. So the question for this morning is how do we do that? How do we put the kingdom of God at the forefront of everything? And that's what we're going to turn our attention to this morning. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open it up. We're going to dive straight into this passage in Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing an exhortation to the church in Colossae that I think as we head into what has the potential to be a very divisive week in our nation, uh, a potentially a very divisive week in, our, in the church, that we need to look at his words together. So I want to start with this passage this morning, Colossians 3, verse 12. Here we go. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, even Republicans and Democrats, bear with them, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And listen to this. And over all these virtues, put on love. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Father, this morning as we come to the eve of the election, as we come to the end of this series, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we ask that we would receive from your word strength, encouragement, comfort, peace, correction, direction. Lord, we invite you to speak to us now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you had nightmares as a kid? Any of you remember? Like we all probably had nightmares. Do any of you have a nightmare that you still remember decades later? Yeah, a few of us. I do too. I had this one recurring nightmare, and I'm sure I had others, but there was this one where uh, the Wicked Witch of the West. Anybody seen The Wizard of Oz? Parents, don't show that to your kids, okay? We just showed our kids it for the first time this year, and I was so nervous. Because when I watched this, I had nightmares about the Wicked Witch of the West. And they lasted for months. And every time the Wicked Witch of the West was coming, and, and she was there to terrorize my family. And I tell you, I woke up shaking, physically so afraid that my body was shaking. I woke up sometimes in cold sweats, absolutely terrified of the Wicked Witch of the West. And the reason why I bring that up to kick us off this morning is simply this. Some of you are terrified about what's going to happen this week. Some of you have been waking up in cold sweats, unsure about what is going to happen with the election. You are terrified that the wrong candidate is going to get elected into the office, right? Or you're terrified that, that your candidate is going to be voted out or not be voted in, some of you are terrified about what's going to happen to the economy if the Democrats win or the Republicans win. Some of us are terrified about what's going to happen to the climate, right? You're terrified. Stop it. Can I just say that? Please stop it. You are scaring the children, okay? Let's not scare the children, right? Jesus' most repeated command was this. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. And on the eve of this election, as a pastor and as a friend, the very first thing I want to say to you, be not afraid. Because no, no matter what happens on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, guess who's still on the throne, right? It doesn't matter. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, right? Politics matter. What we believe matters. These are real concerns. The problem is when we allow these concerns to produce fear in our heart, as followers of Jesus, we are told that we are not to be afraid. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Wouldn't it be great if we could get a sound mind in the White House? Sorry, I can't resist. That's the only one. I promise. All right. You can, you can decide which way that goes. All right. Be not afraid. So what is it that we're afraid of? We think about it. 
What are we afraid of? I think at the end of the day, we are afraid of loss, right? Loss of security, loss of control, loss of progress, loss of our Christian values. There is much to be concerned about, right? We are concerned about loss. But how do we keep this kind of fear from taking root in our heart and terrorizing our minds? I'm so glad you asked. And the simple answer, take you way back to Sunday school, is simply this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Why are we afraid? Could it be we're afraid because our eyes are fixed on a presidential candidate instead of on Christ? Could it be that we're afraid because our eyes are fixed on a political party or our eyes are fixed on the economy or our eyes are fixed on the White House? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Even in the midst of all the very valid and serious concerns that you carry, don't allow those concerns to, tr- to turn into fear. Rather, take those concerns and turn them into prayer. That's how we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's how we find some stability in what feels like such an unstable time in our nation's history. We know this, but let me remind you, okay? Your security does not rest in who sits in the White House. Your security rests in who sits on the throne. Amen, brother. That was good. Yes. I'm going to say it again because I think some of you missed it. Your security does not rest with who sits in the White House. Your security rests with who sits on the throne. And like I said, no matter what happens Tuesday night or in two weeks or three months, whenever we get the results, Jesus will still be on the throne. Amen? Oh, we're getting loud in this Presbyterian church. All right, so this morning I want to give you three quick simple encouragements or exhortations. And the first one we've already covered, but I want to just hit it again in case you missed it. Please stop scaring the children. All right? Stop scaring the children. Now, I, I, get, I really, I get it. I understand the fear. I understand the concerns. But here's what I want to encourage us to do. What if we modeled for the next generation what confidence and trusting God looks like in the midst of political unrest and turmoil rather than being doom and gloom about what's going to happen to our nation? Like, what if there was a way that instead of just being all doom and gloom about the political landscape, we could teach the next generation through our behavior this election week that our confidence doesn't rest on who sits in the White House, but our confidence rests with who sits on the throne? What if we're able to model for the next generation that no matter how uncertain or chaotic or crazy the world is, we can still trust in God because our eyes are fixed on Jesus, not on the White House. And because of that, we are calm, cool, and collected no matter what happens, right? Because our faith will not be shaken because our faith is anchored to Christ and our eyes are fixed on him. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Okay, so stop scaring the children. And listen, if you're a young person under 40 years old, do not lose heart. Okay, God is in control. We need to be engaged. 
All right, Pastor Carl covered that brilliantly in our first week. We absolutely have a responsibility to engage politically, but let's remember that ultimately we want to put the kingdom of God first. Number two, put your faith filter first. Put your faith filter first. You know, in Jesus, uh, one of his most famous sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus does this beautiful discourse on worry. And it would probably do as well to read that this week. Like, do not be afraid. Do not worry about what you're going to eat or wear, but rather trust in God. And at the end of that little passage on worry, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you as well. That's our common goal as we come to this election week. We need to seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to us as well. And what I believe Jesus was implying there is when you seek the kingdom first, everything else is secondary. And that includes your political affiliation. What if we put our faith filter first? Let me ask you this question. Honestly, at home, here in this room, I want you to evaluate. In the last 30 days, have you been more closely following Jesus or a political candidate? Come on, that's good, right? How many of us can say that honestly, in the last 30 days, we've been more closely following Jesus than a political candidate? We've been checking in with him every day to see what's on his heart as opposed to checking in to see what's happening in the news. Like, where do we go first? Are we checking in with Jesus? Here's another question for you. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than creating a version of your faith that props up your politics? Well, I just hurt somebody's feelings. I want to apologize. I didn't mean it. We need to put our faith filter first. Are we willing to evaluate our politics through what Jesus said and taught? Are we willing to follow Jesus even if doing so creates some distance between our current political party and platform? So how many of us know Jesus didn't come to be a footnote in a political platform? He came to change everything, right? Our politics should be informed by our faith, not our faith informed by our politics. Let me say that again. That's important. Your politics, my politics, should be informed by our faith, not our, our, our faith informed by our politics. Because so often that's what happens, is we have a political view, and then we go to the Bible to say, this is why what I believe is right. Here's my political view. I'm going to have my political view first, and then I'm going to look for Scripture to back up what I already believe. Versus coming to the Word of God and saying, God, what do you say? And I'm going to let what you say shape my politics. I'm going to let what you say shape my worldview. I'm going to let what you say shape how I live and lead my life. So the question is this. Are you willing to be a Christian first and a Democrat second? Are you willing to be a Christian first and a Republican second? Or a libertarian or an independent or, or, or whatever you are second? Are we willing to put... Jesus first. 
Are we willing to filter our political viewpoints through the teachings of Christ? And I want to be honest with you, I have a confession to make. When it comes to politics, and many things, I'm absolutely convinced that I'm right. And you know what? If I'm right and you disagree with me, do you know what that makes you? You're, you're wrong. Okay, so if you disagree with me, I think you're wrong. Can I just say that? All right. But before you judge me, before you judge me, don't we all feel the same way? Don't we all feel that what we believe is right? Each of us, hopefully, are thoroughly convinced that what we believe politically is right. And what's scarier, or what's more, is we also each believe that Jesus would be on our side. Right? If Jesus were here today, he would, he would definitely be a Democrat because of the democratic concern and care for the poor and the needy. No, no, but if Jesus was here, he would definitely be on the side of the Republicans because of their strong family values and their stance on life, right? Jesus would be on my side. We're convinced of it. Listen, if you ask me to develop a teaching that shows a biblical basis for the Republican platform, I could do it without blinking. If you ask me to develop a teaching that shows the biblical basis for the Democratic Party platform, I could do it without blinking, all right? We can all find scripture that supports our viewpoint, right? Jesus is so red. Jesus is so blue. Isn't it amazing how much he agrees with you, right? That's what we think, all right? We all think that Jesus would be on our side. But as Tony Evans once said, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over, right? Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over, and when we attempt to filter the teachings of Jesus through our political filter, we can make anything fit and convince ourselves that he would be with us. He would agree with me. So as we head into this election season, I think there's one thing we can all agree on. I want to see if we can reach a point of agreement on election week. This, this could be monumental. Here's what I think we can agree on. We can agree that we will never agree. Right? We can agree that we will never all agree. We will never all think the same. Okay, so where does that leave us? Again, so glad you asked. It leaves us with point number three, which is my final point. All right? We should disagree politically, yet love unconditionally. Disagree politically, love unconditionally. Disagree politically, love unconditionally. You guys remember in John chapter 13 where Jesus told us that the whole world will know that we're his disciples by our political platform. The whole world will know that we're his disciples by who we vote for as president on Tuesday. Right? You guys remember that? No, you don't remember that because that's not in the Bible. What Jesus said in John 13, 35 is, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your Love for one another. What would happen in our nation if the church, if believers would become more known for our love than we are for our political platform of choice? Think about the unity that could bring. Remember, unity does not mean uniformity. We don't all have to agree, but we can all still love. 
I love this picture uh, that a friend of mine posted on Facebook um, of some guy holding a Biden flag and someone else holding a Trump flag, and they were meeting in the middle, shaking hands. You see, no matter how convinced we are that one or the other is right, that is what the kingdom of God looks like. That is what love looks like. We might disagree, but that's not going to keep me from loving you. We might disagree, but that's not going to keep us from loving one another because Jesus said that that was the most important thing. You see, there's always, I believe, going to be disagreement when it comes to policy, platform, and legislation. And that's okay as long as you and I are mature enough to not let our political differences divide us, as long as we can stay united. And sometimes I wonder, like, how is it possible that people who live in the same town and go to the same church and read the same Bible can be so different politically, can be so convinced that I'm right and they're wrong and they're wrong and I'm right? right? How is it that we're in the same church and we read the same Bible, but we have such different political viewpoints? Several uh, weeks or months ago, I can't remember now, I was listening to a sermon uh, by Andy Stanley, and he was preaching before uh, one of these upcoming elections, and, and he made this comment, and it, it convicted me, and it informed me in, in a big way, and I want to share it with you today. He said, where we stand is based on where we sit. Where we stand politically is based on where we sit in life. That makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Like, here are some of the things that influence your political viewpoints. Here are some of the things that influence my political viewpoints. Where we live, where we work, where we were educated, if we were educated, right? What we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced in life. All of us have these unique experiences that give us a unique political viewpoint, and if we're honest, our political viewpoint is often shaped by our worldview more than it is our faith and theology. Listen to me. If you're a Democrat in here, let me talk to the Democrats for a minute. I know who you are now. You all looked up. If you're a Democrat, your Republican brothers and sisters are not crazy. They're not even demon-possessed. Okay? All right. And, and if you're a Republican... Your Democratic brothers and sisters are not insane. They are not crazy. They just sit in a different seat because they've experienced different things. Everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them, right? Everybody's worldview makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's viewpoint makes perfect sense to them. And here's what I'm willing to bet. If you sat where they sit, if you've seen what they've seen, if you've experienced what they've experienced, there's a very good chance that you might think the same. Right? Because where we sit, or yeah, where we sit determines where we stand. And the Republicans are just like the Democrats, and the Democrats are just like the Republicans. We are all taking a stand based on where we sit. And that matters. Your convictions matter. When it comes to time to vote, you should vote your convictions. As you look at Scripture and you look at the teachings of Christ, you should vote according to what you feel convicted about. 
But the reality is some of us will carry different convictions than others because we've experienced life differently than each other. Okay, and the final encouragement. Now, I tricked you, not quite the final. Let me give you one more. Have you ever heard someone say this or maybe you've said this before? Well, I just don't understand how anyone could dot, 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 fill in the blank. I don't understand how anyone could be for this or I don't understand how anyone could be against this. We, we don't comprehend how someone could be for something we're so against or against something we're so for. And what I want to draw to your attention is simply this. It's you who don't understand. You've just made, uh, you know, not an accusation at someone else. You've just revealed something about yourself. I don't understand. So what if instead of criticizing one another, we talk to one another and we try to learn from one another? Help me see the world the way you do. It might not change how I, what, I, what I think, but I want to understand you better rather than keeping people at arm's length because they're different. All right, please, my last thought. Please, never ever burn a relational bridge over a political point of view. I know some of you who are here this morning or watching live stream or watching the recording later have done this at some point. You've burnt a a relational bridge because of your political viewpoints. And friends, listen to me. That is not okay. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Empires rise and empires fall. But Jesus said, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my gathering of people, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why would we ever burn a relational bridge for a political viewpoint? Because those political viewpoints will soon disappear, and all that's left will be the kingdom of God and the church. Don't you dare burn a relational bridge over political viewpoint because that will fade away, but the kingdom of God is here to stay. And next weekend, we're going to be kicking off a series on the kingdom. And just before we close, I want to simply read the same passage that we already read to you again. With all of this in mind, as you think about not scaring the children and putting your faith filter first and disagreeing politically but loving unconditionally, if you think about election week, hear this one more time. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. The same love by which all the world will know that we're his disciples. Because love binds all these virtues together in perfect unity. And if you're scared and afraid, listen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word, the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing with God, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, 
And however you vote, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to live your word this week. Lord, we admit that we are weak. Our opinions are strong. But Lord, we ask that we would be Christians first. We ask that you help us to put the kingdom first. Lord, we ask that we would find our security, not in who sits in the White House, but in you who sits on the throne. In Jesus' name, amen.